Hello and welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with Michelle Ferris, Head of Charities and Care at Albert Goodman. We talk about charity audits and independent examinations of accounts. Auditing of charities is crucial and stipulated as part of the annual reporting of charities, but it also serves to reassure charity boards, staff and volunteers, those they support and those that support them, that a charity is in the best possible place to deliver and fulfil its obligations. This is crucial, especially now in these trying times that we all live in. And it also makes auditing a rather interesting topic of conversation. And I was delighted to be able to speak to Michelle, who, as you will hear, has a wealth of knowledge and expertise, not just about auditing, but also about charities. This episode is brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. So without further ado, here is Michelle Ferris speaking about auditing charities. I'm delighted to welcome Michelle Ferris, Head of Charities and Care at Albert Goodman. Hello, Michelle. Welcome to Charity Chats. Good afternoon, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. So, Michelle, you work for Albert Goodman, uh, which is an accountancy firm serving businesses and charities primarily across the southwest uh, in the UK for our uh, our non-UK listeners. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so we're kind of a mid-sized firm um, and we've always had a charity offering, but it was probably around 10 years ago that I started really getting involved in charities. And the more that I found, the more that I loved. And I thought, actually, this is a really great sector to help people, to give some good advice and to really make a difference. And so I've been specialising in the sector for about 10 years now. I do a, a wide variety of things really helping charities from all areas of governance right through to audit and I'm a trustee myself so I come at things with a an interesting perspective so you're you're kind of you're you're an insider really you you understand because I suppose sometimes it feels like that the audit and the charity are two separate entities working I mean it should presumably it should be working together but it does I, I'll be honest it does feel that you know it's kind of there's worries like, ah the auditors are coming you know crikey is there a sense that, uh, you know, coming from your knowledge of charities as a trustee, are you aware of that? Is that is that just me or are other charities that you're talking to, do they seem to have that same kind of concern? The auditors are coming. Well, I hope that none of my clients feel that way. But yeah, I, know, I do know what you mean. I like to think that, that the reason I'm a trustee really is that I don't feel like I can preach to these charities and tell them what they should and shouldn't be doing without being willing to receive it on the other end, I suppose. So yeah, the charities that I'm involved with are audited. Um, I don't feel that way about my auditors and I hope none of my clients feel that way about me, but I'm very certain that you're right in that a lot of charities would look at things and think, oh God, the auditors are coming and I'm scared of them. And, and one thing I really want to get across from chatting to you is, is not to be, is how helpful an audit and the auditor can be if you use them properly I suppose so not to have that fear to, to see it as kind of a, a, a trusted advisor I suppose and someone that can help your charity. From the the charities that you're involved with personally as a trustee are these charities that you've learned about because of the the work that you've been doing at Albert Goodman or, or, or did they come first and then you as you say you, you've kind of developed the charity side of things with Albert Goodman how, how did that work? 
so it worked that I became aware of them through my job, I suppose. So um, one of them, I'm sure they won't mind me saying, I'm the treasurer of the Somerset Community Foundation. So there's a network of community foundations across the country. Uh, and I'm the treasurer of the Somerset Community Foundation. And, and the foundation does fantastic work, particularly in, in recent, the last year or so, um, giving out grants to small organizations to help the voluntary sector grow and all of that type of thing. So that was, you know, that's one massive area where my two roles overlap, I suppose, because I'm a treasurer. But, you know, the number of clients that I work with that I see have had funding from, from this community foundation. And, and that was sort of part of my awareness of them, I suppose. And that's a really good, I suppose, role to have, because as well as being a trustee of a charity, it's a charity that gives to so many charities. You you probably get a very good idea of, and, and working with the finances, that's the kind of the language, isn't it, of how charities are supporting one another in the context of um, of the community foundation that you volunteer for as a trustee. Oh, yeah, it's been hugely helpful. I mean, as a trustee, I think so many people assume that you are giving to the charity by being a trustee. But actually, you know, I've, I've learned so much about the local environment and what it means for charities in our local environment by simply being a trustee. And, and it's really given me something back the other side. So I think, you know, I don't think people should look at it as trustees simply giving to charities. Being a trustee means you can learn a huge amount from the charity that you're involved with. And in terms of the, the work that you do around kind of auditing charities, what, what is that process like? Can you just kind of talk us through what, is it, what does it look like for, for, for you and for the charities? So the main aim of an audit is that we ultimately have to give a positive opinion to say whether or not the accounts of the charity give a true and fair view. And auditing is the same no matter who does it and no matter what entity they do it for. So in theory, we would have to go through the same procedures and consider the same things to audit a charity that has a turnover of £1 million, which is the audit limit for charities, as opposed to a bank. It, in theory, it would be exactly the same. Mm. Um, and, it, and it can be quite daunting for a lot of charities because the audit limit, if you are just a regular company, is just over £10 million worth of income. So there's a massive gulf there in the size of entities that would normally be audited. Um, and so it can be quite daunting. And I think that's probably one of the major things that I always try and get across is that it doesn't need to be. So we're ultimately trying to give an opinion on the accounts. We're trying to say whether or not they give a true and fair view. And what that means is we have to consider whether or not they are materially correct. So if someone were to look at those accounts and there was an error in them, is that error big enough that it would make them change their view of those accounts? Right. That's kind of it in layman's terms. And so in, in a practical sense, that means a lot of different things, depending on the type of charity and what it is that they do. So there are some charities that receive a lot of legacies. And so we'll look at that in a huge amount of detail, but others that are more trading based. And so we'll look at that in detail. But there are standard things we will always go through, always go through the bank, always look quite closely at wages um, and always go through and look at things like minutes of meetings and that type of thing. But what it really means is that effectively we kind of get under the skin of the charity and try to work out 
what it should look like, I suppose. And then it's a bit of an auditor's feel, I suppose, is do the accounts look like what we would expect them to look like? That's where one of the massive benefits of an audit comes in is that we do have to get under the skin. You know, I, I think any auditor that says for them it's just about the numbers is not doing it right because mm. you have to understand the entity that you're auditing before you can know if it's right. And so, you know, we gain a huge amount of knowledge of charity by being their auditor. And I think I don't think that many charities realize that or realize that actually, you know, we've got that experience and can use it for other things to help them as well. So the threshold at which point a charity needs to have um you and your colleagues come in and audit their accounts is is a million pounds. So they need to raise a million pounds or more than they required to do this this official um, audit process. Is, is that right? Yes, that's right. There is a slightly lower limit if you've got a lot of assets. Um, but on the whole, it's a million pounds worth of income. Although one of the really common misconceptions in the sector generally is obviously you're also required to have an independent examination once your income hits £25,000. Right. And a lot of people would refer to that as an audit. And actually, there's a massive difference between the two. Um, anyone that's ever been quoted for the difference between an independent examination and an audit would know there's a huge difference. Um, primarily, as I said, because the audit regulations are exactly the same whether we're auditing a million pound charity or a 20 million pound trading company right, and okay. that's that's the reason why and um, so you get some level of scrutiny from twenty five thousand pounds worth of income upwards it's just what level you get but in theory there's benefits to it the whole way through it's not quite as detailed as an audit but in theory your examiner should also gain some information that could also be useful to you as a charity even if you're not big enough to have a full audit Based on the registered charities in the UK, I think it's something around 98% or something around that of those registered charities have an income less than a million pounds. So the majority of the charities in the UK listening to this would be thinking that you know a, a, an audit like the one that, that you and your colleagues carry out probably wouldn't be the thing that they would need to do. But in terms of these, these the audits for charities um, raising more than 25,000 pounds, what types of things should they be thinking about? They'll still be having to do a number of things to reassure their board, presumably, and their stakeholders, but also potentially uh, reassuring anybody that looks at their accounts on the uh, Charity Commission website, potential funders. Absolutely. I mean, an independent examination is still something to take reasonably seriously. And the Charity Commission, what was it, about three and up years ago, changed their guidance around independent examinations quite heavily because actually they wanted to put the onus back on the examiners to make sure that they were doing the right thing because they appreciate that, as you say, the large majority of charities fall under the million pound threshold for audits. And so actually it's about leveling the field, I suppose, a little bit. And in an independent examination, because I do a huge amount of those too, it's, it's a smaller version of an audit. So in that case, we have to give what's called a negative opinion, which effectively says that there's nothing that's come to our attention that indicates the accounts are wrong. Right. So it's kind of a flip of the audit opinion that we have to give. Um, and, and so we would do that by effectively 
doing smaller versions of what we do, albeit it's a lot less rigorous. Mm. But we would still look at minutes of meetings. We'd still try and understand the charity. We'd look at their major sources of income. We might ask for some explanations about why things have moved or why they look different. But you still gain a huge amount of information from doing that. And certainly what I would say is if you're listening to this and, and you have an independent examination rather than an audit, don't rule it out as something that you've just got to pay for and get done. Because, you know, if you're working with someone that understands charities, then actually there's still a huge amount of benefit that can be gained from the process. And I guess that benefit that you're talking about, is that in terms of reassuring the management of a charity that they are doing the right thing and bringing that oversight into understanding that the finances are, are being documented properly and that the charity isn't heading towards disaster? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's a lot of things that we are required to do in an audit. For example, we are required to go through and look at systems and processes and governance and how it all comes together and are the right boxes being ticked. But actually, anyone that does charity independent examinations or audits as a job, and I know a lot of people do examinations kind of as a side job, but for, for anyone that does them full time like I do, actually you can still tailor a lot of those bits down so if you were a charity and your board had particular concerns about your controls around banks maybe so they might be worried about the bank controls that the charity has in place is it suitable is it appropriate well that's something that i can look over in half an hour you know for a very very minimal cost to actually give some kind of assurance to the board and so I think quite often the board may worry about these type of things, but not really know who to go to or what to ask. And, and that's definitely something that you should always look to ask your accountant or your examiner, because actually there's a huge amount of wealth of experience they might be able to provide. Because even if it is an independent examination, they'll see a lot of charities that do a wide range of different things. And so the most enjoyable part of my job is when someone rings me and says, Michelle, this has happened and I'm not quite sure what to do. Or can you help me with this circumstance that I think I can see coming up? And actually, for me, that is more enjoyable than anything else that I do is, is really helping charity kind of take that step and be where they want to be. Because actually, the majority of charities, and, and this is a a massive frustration of mine is that the legislation and, and particularly around accounting in the sector can be so unwieldy sometimes mm. and so difficult to navigate particularly for small charities that just don't have the finances to fund someone full-time so invariably they will outsource their accountancy amongst other things and i think sometimes people look at accountants and go oh well i just give them my records once a year and that's what i pay them for yeah. And actually, sometimes I would encourage you to think, well, is that what I want? Could I have a better relationship? Could they help me more? And that's where, you know, like I said, that's where the enjoyment of my role comes from, really, is to have that close engagement, to, to have clients pick up the phone to me and ask me questions and to work with charities, not to be seen as something to fear. Do you think that 
do the charities or should charities have somebody on their board that either has the similar kind of background that you have ideally so has actually conducted audits themselves or or can can talk the lingo you know do you need an accountant on your board ideally in order to talk the lingo with you know an auditor some, someone like yourself or is that unnecessary do you think I'd love to say that it's unnecessary. I'd love to say that every accountant out there should be able to talk to their clients in a way that actually boards can understand. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. And I would always encourage any board, regardless of who their accountant is, to try and have someone financially literate on the board because... I love to help my clients, but I also, it's the most important part of my job is making sure that they understand what I'm telling them and what it means for the charity. Because, you know, as much as I'm there to pick up the phone with, as much as I can be, I'm not sat in every single board meeting. And so I spend a lot of time encouraging accountants, both my colleagues and, and also non-colleagues, to become treasurers or to get involved with boards sure. because actually they can make a massive difference and I kind of make it a prerequisite for anyone that works on my team with charities that they have to be involved because I don't think it's fair for you to as I said earlier for you to kind of lecture people and to say well you must do this or this could be better without sitting on the other side of the fence yourself. And I suppose there, there could potentially be conflicts of interest if charities are asking their auditors to put someone forward to their board but it's not to say that they can't contact their local accountancy firms wherever they're based and see if they can potentially have somebody join their board that maybe has that background or or some other financial services knowledge absolutely I mean as you say there, there is conflict of interest so no one that works for me or within my firm is able to be a trustee on a charity that I act for that sure. is, you know, that's a basic no-no. And, and that's completely understandable because it underpins one of the very basic trust points within charities and within audits itself. But as you say, there are plenty of people and you don't have to be a charity specialist. It helps because charity accounts are a little bit weird and wonderful, as most people listening to this will understand, I'm sure. <laughs> but But you don't have to be. You know, just being able to, to interpret sometimes is as important and the basics are the same, regardless of who it is you're working with. When we're looking at how charities can make the most or make the, the processes um, as smooth as possible, are there things that all charities can can do just to make your job a little bit easier and, and their, their job a little bit easier, I suppose. Absolutely. But I, I always think that it doesn't come down to making my life easier. Actually, if the charity is well run and well documented, then my life will automatically be easier. But it shouldn't necessarily be about making the auditor or the examiner's life easier. It should be about making sure you have a system in place so that you know where you are at any point in time. Mm. Do you have a method of recording your ins and outs and how does it work and is it accurate and can it be backed up? And that's really the main point. And, and then it all comes back to communication as I think I've already said, you know, that involvement with the charities for me is, is not an annual event. 
it's something that should be happen far more regularly and actually that's what makes a massive difference and, and hopefully makes it easier for me and my clients is that I'm not coming across something 10 months after it happened and asking for every piece of information about it because either the client had known or that it was going to be important and put it aside or they'd spoken to me at the time and I said well actually this is the best way to deal with it this is what I'm going to need and that for me is probably the, the best thing I would say is not to view your accountant as someone that's scary or that can't help on a day-to-day -day basis because hopefully they are be able to. So I guess it's like anything, having nipping things in the bud and having a conversation as it happens rather than waiting for the end of the year when you start panicking and trying to pull all the information together for your your audits is, is the answer really. Absolutely. And, and I hate... There's nothing I hate more than if I'm going through something and I see an invoice from an accountancy firm or for someone else saying, you know, 10 minutes spent on the 27th of August. Because I think, well, what benefit is that giving anyone? If a client is scared to pick up the phone to you to ask you a question, then then that gives that's no good to anyone. You know, that interaction is 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 what matters. And I, I would far rather someone phoned me and said, I don't know what to do with this. Because you can nip it in the bud there and then, as you say, otherwise you get, you know, a long way down the line and then you realise that something that really mattered wasn't actioned when it could have been. In terms of the COVID uh, pandemic and how that's obviously that's affected charities in, in as with everybody in terrible ways. But are you seeing any changes in auditing practice or is it going becoming more digital? Are there any kind of changes as a response of the pandemic in your work? There have been huge changes. I mean, quite rightly, you know, a lot of lot of charities look at it and go, well, do I want three strange people walking up for a week in the middle of a pandemic when we're trying to, you know, fight fires on the front line? And, and the answer nine times out of 10 is no. So it has changed the way that we do things. It's changed the way that we embrace technology to audit our clients. And so there's a lot more screen sharing and working through reports and phone calls and that type of thing. But also, I think it's changed the landscape for charities. And it's also changed the way in which charities report and the way in which we're required to look at things, I think. So there's always been the requirement when you have a full audit that the auditor has to look and think about whether the charity is going to be there in a year's time from the date of signing. Now, you know, many people listening to this will be aware of the kids company and, and a huge amount of scrutiny has come down on their auditors. Mm. And in some cases, I think quite rightly, um, uh, you know, it, even as an auditor, it pains me to say that. But you look at reserves, for example, and I spend such a long time talking to my clients about reserves and what they mean. And some people will say that a good reserves policy is three months or six months worth of expenditure. When you're looking at the requirements for me as an auditor to look at going concern, obviously the pandemic makes things harder because how can you be certain that, you know, previously I might be handling a budget and I say, well, that looks about right. And this has just thrown the whole world upside down. There's been a huge amount of talk, hasn't there, about certainty for the sector and about changes needed and about what, you know, the Department of Culture, Media and Sport are going to do. And I think auditors have to take, you know, a, an element of their client's word on this now because you are, we are in unknown circumstances. Yeah. Um, and I think talking to a lot of my clients that are frontline, the concern doesn't come 
for this coming year, it comes for the years after when the demand for services is still going to be there, but this may no longer be at the front of people's minds. It probably won't be at the front of most councils or, or statutory funders' minds, but you know your listeners will, will be very well aware of that. But that's certainly something that I'm taking into account when I'm looking at audits at the moment. You raise an interesting point there around in the in the context of I suppose hypothetically if a charity if you're auditing a charity and it's clearly got very very limited reserves uh, even before the pandemic but certainly now at what point do you raise a red flag and presumably you raise a red flag to the board at that point I mean they they, they would hopefully know anyway um, but at what point do you say that this this can't continue are you in are you in that position as an auditor sometimes yes it's it's a horrible position to be in but again it's one of those where actually regular interaction makes it easier rather than you know trying to flag because if i'm in that position nine months after the year end, only just looking at the year end numbers then what has happened since Hmm. for me there isn't a hard and fast limit i don't say well, once you dip below X number of months, then that's a real concern. For me, it's all about knowing the board, knowing how understanding they are of their own position, knowing what plans they have in place. And so much can be gained from a half hour discussion with the board. It's an auditor's requirement to report back to the board. And actually, for me, it's one of the most useful parts of the entire process is that I get a really clear understanding from the board about how much they understand how much it matters to them and and what they're doing to correct it, I suppose. So actually, I tend to take my lead a lot of the time from the board and their understanding of the position. I think I just would always encourage charities to look to get more from what it is they're, you know, what it is they're paying for, I suppose. So if you're outsourcing to an accountant, can they help you more? Have you have you asked the question first and foremost? What is it they do that they can actually assist you with? And can you get more from the audit process rather than seeing it as something that you fear? Michelle Ferris, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. Thank you ever so much for having me, Sam. It was great to talk to you this afternoon. big thank you there to Michelle Ferris for contributing her knowledge and expertise to this conversation about charity audits. Let me start by clarifying that approximately 4.5% of registered charities in England and Wales, which is about 7,600 of them, have an income of £1 million or more. But of course, these charities employ a large proportion of those of us working in the sector. About 35% of registered charities in England and Wales have an income of £25,000, but less than £1 million. That's about 59,000 charities in England and Wales. And these, of course, are required, as Michelle says, to have an independent examination of their accounts, which isn't an audit, but is, uh, is essentially a very similar thing. You may, like me, have had some involvement in charity audits yourself. Perhaps you've scrambled to answer an auditor's question at the point of your charity's annual audit. It can sometimes feel a little bit like a teacher marking your homework, a little bit uh, of an anxiety. But Michelle brings a fresh perspective. And with experience in both charity audits and as a charity trustee herself, Michelle clearly understands the perspective of auditing from both sides and sees a solution as collaborative working. 
After all, done well, the audit is a helpful monitoring tool for trustees and charity leaders and a recognition, a vital recognition really, of the efficient working practices and hard graft that so many charities deserve. So that's it from me. Thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We hope to speak to Michelle again about one of uh, many topics we mentioned off air. We'd love to hear either way from you uh, regarding this episode. And as always, we'd love to hear from you if you've got any questions or feedback for us. Please get in touch with us through our website, charitychat.org.uk, or find us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Charity People, for enabling us to share insights, expertise and best practice across our sector. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Cheerio. Bye-bye.